Hello and welcome to the OA for Lent. The OA for Lent is a digital Lenten study guide and podcast that we've created based on the hit Netflix show, The OA. We're the creators and your hosts. I'm Keith Anderson. And I'm Martin Malzahn. And in this episode, we'll be talking about the OA episode seven, Empire of Light. To see the study guide and follow along and let us know what you think, visit our website, theoaforlent.com, and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Okay, on with the show. So Martin, we are at the next to last episode of the OA, and I can't imagine how anybody could possibly wait to watch the final episode (laughs) after getting this far and watching episodes six and seven. We are hurtling toward the finale in episode eight. But there's so much in this episode that sets up what's to come. And some really important revelations that now kind of emerge late in the season. So maybe the biggest revelation of this episode is finally we learn what the OA means. Um, that's been a mystery of the whole series. And, you know, as people engage with us on Facebook, you know, people are like, well, what does the OA mean? And it's like, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. You have to watch the episode seven <laughs> to really find out. You know, I'm not going to spoil that for you or anybody else. But here we learn that the OA means the original angel. And uh, yeah. maybe some of our watchers and listeners could have figured that out. We heard before that um, Katoon had called her the original and she thinks mm-hmm. she's an angel, so we could have put those together. I did not. And the, <laughs> the unveiling of this name, right, comes not in this very kind of majestic, mysterious way. Like, they're at the local restaurant. Like, she and her parents are there, and this one, this young woman comes over, takes a selfie, and that sets her mother off into this whole rant about what do they know about our lives, and and then it reminds us that her parents don't even know what's happening, right? The five in the house know the FBI listener therapist knows some of the story we know, but her parents are still in the dark about what these seven years have been for her. And her mom goes crazy. And then the OA blurts out, I am the original angel. And then her mom slaps her. <laughs> and then yeah. Alfonso, you know, ushers her out of the restaurant and they go to the house. So yeah. this is the moment where we learn the OA is the original angel. And I was thinking about in the Bible, how naming is so important. And you know, specifically, I was thinking of the story when Moses goes up to the mountain, um, to the burning bush, and he's taking off his shoes. Um, a little nod to Walter Wink in our last episode. He takes off his shoes mm-hmm. and, and learns the name of God, and the, the name is I Am. There's this moment of revelation about the name. But there are also so many other stories in the Bible where the revealing or the changing of a name indicates this person's calling, this person's destiny, whether it's Abram being renamed Abraham, the father of nations, or uh, Jacob being called Israel, or Mm -hmm. the naming of John the Baptist, or there's this controversy of what he's going to be named. Is he going to have a priestly name, or he's going to have this different name, which sets him on a course not to be a priest, but a prophet. And so names are, of course, hugely important to begin with, but in our biblical tradition, there's lots going on there. And so we have the name, the original angel. And one question is, you know, why is it, why is she the original angel? Is it because she was given the first movement? What's original about her? Because Katoon is there, right, in the afterlife or the NDE space, this this uh, liminal space. And uh, it's Katoon that calls her the original. So she was not the first one there, but there's something about it. The second big theme for me in this episode was the what I call the reckoning and redemption of Steve. So Steve, we met early on, was this bully, right? 
had a lot of anger, used violence, uh, hit this kid in the throat. And <laughs> over the course of the series, we see him softening and, you know, kind of things dawning on him, like thinking about his invisible self. And here in the series, like things are starting at the beginning of the, the show to turn around for Steve, right? He meets this girl and they kiss. They're talking about going to prom together. Uh, but then, you know, then his parents call the school uh, to come and take him away, right? So he comes out that he had hit this kid. The kid admits that what had happened. And so his parents call Asheville, this school, to take him away in the van. And uh, and they come, and the BBA follows them. She tracks them. She calls the principal and tells them, you know, you shouldn't have done this. And then one of the funniest lines in the whole series, you know, she says, I have to go. I'm eating a sandwich. Uh, there are lots of great gifs and <laughs> gifs and memes about that online. Actually, if you if you look for it, I'm eating a sandwich. I have to go. Um, and so then she ransoms, literally ransoms Steve, right? She comes up with this half cocked idea to kind of say, oh, these guys are molesting <laughs> Steve, you know. And and then she yeah. runs in front of the van and she holds up this $50,000 check that she had gotten from her brother's estate. Uh, and it's a cashier's check. And she says, I'll give you this. Just let the boy go. And she like literally ransoms his life. Uh, she redeems him. And the guys yeah. take the check and she Steve goes home with the BBA. Um, and then they come into the house and right, Steve's just been through this and he comes over to the OA, right? And he stabs her with a pencil, right? So here's this, you know, almost seemed like like the last maybe vestiges of Steve the bully or Steve the violent and angry kid. You know, he takes this pencil and he stabs it right into her thigh. And everybody's like, <gasps> you know, and, but the OA just keeps holding him and holding him. And there seems to be, you know, this kind of draining of all this fear and anger and anxiety in Steve and the expression on his face just kind of reveals that. Um, there's this little conversation between the BBA and the OA about purgatory, you know, wondering where her brother is in his afterlife. And the OA says, yeah. you know, I don't think it was purgatory where she had gone, but I don't think we can understand. And she, you know, and the BBA says, well, why do we always try to understand? And the OA says, the future's dark, not like bad, just dark. You can't see it. And maybe living is just bringing light to what you need in a day seeing the day, or at least that's what I'm learning in therapy, she throws in at the end. And then finally, uh, the last kind of major theme that stood out to me was this talk about the invisible river. So the OA is talking about, you know, what happens in the movements. And she says, the force of the movements done with perfect feeling just opens up something that's already there, like an invisible river that carries you away, but you have to jump in, you have to want to jump in. Um, and there's a little touching on this kind of scientific idea we talked about in the last episode about multiverses and forking paths mm -hmm. and multiple dimensions that the river might contain. But one of the, the things that it triggered for me was this memory of reading uh, Herman Hesse's book, Siddhartha, in my college world religions class. Uh, and Siddhartha <laughs> would constantly come back to the river. And in that river, you know, he would see the past, the present, thoughts of the future, and uh, as some, somebody had written um, when they were talking about kind of the role of the river, uh, the rivers are the wellsprings of ancient wisdom. And so this river is this image, uh, this very spiritual image. You know, rivers play such an important role in all faiths, you know, whether it's the Ganges River or, um, mm -hmm. or the Jordan River. Um, rivers play a, a huge role. Uh, these are these liminal spaces 
right, where the Israelites cross the Jordan to come into the Holy Land, or Jesus goes out to the mm-hmm. Jordan to be baptized, and he's revealed to the people there as God's son. And so the, the movements are a way of connecting with this invisible river that's going through and connected to uh, all these parts of our lives and perhaps even the universe. So Martin, what did you think about this episode? Yeah, I think those are some really interesting themes that you've jumped on. I, I really like the language in which you described the ransoming of Steve. Um, you know, it begins to put into a bigger context instead of just almost this slapstick adventure that he has in, uh, you know, the uh, convenience store in which they're going to try to get out of it by, you know, these outrageous charges of, you know, molestation. But there is something deeper going on there. And I think that this idea of the physicality just comes up again and again, and the merging of the physical worlds and the spiritual worlds. And whether this is in OA talking about her near-death experiences, whether it's talking about her captivity, whether it's the misfits talking about the things going on in their own lives. You've got the BVA's brother who's passed away. You've got Jesse's mother who's passed away. You've got Steve who's looking at being taken away. Um, There's this wonderful scene in the part where the OA says that cultures that have survived a lot of loss have more totems than others. And she says that objects carry meaning. And there are so many different ways in which to unpack that. You can unpack that with that stabbing of the pencil um, that you know, like, you know, what are pencils used for? They're used to, to write, to communicate. And this one is being, you know, kind of forced into the flesh of a storyteller. And her response is to, you know, really empathetically embrace this violent person who then starts crying and asks, how did you survive so long down there? And remember what she says? She says, I survived because I wasn't alone. And Suddenly it's revealed that what we've seen all along, that Steve is such a lonely person. And he's been, you're, he's been yearning to connect, even with the kid he punches in the throat. You know, he did so because he couldn't connect with him. Like he really wanted to have this connection that was impossible. And so his only response is what he knows. is like, all right, I'll just, if I can't connect with you, then I'll destroy you. Yeah, and we saw that with his girlfriend in the first episode where he pretended that he wasn't hurt by the fact that she didn't want to have an actual relationship with him (laughs) you know (laughs) um that yeah is a very lonely guy yeah and i think we all have totems of of one kind or another you know whether they we think of them as being particularly spiritual or religious there are things in our lives that uh, are like that like i have a little rock i got on a silent retreat once and i picked up uh fittingly enough like on a little stream you know like a little river and uh picked up this stone and it had like a little notch in it that i would swear looks like the shape of a heart and i must have gotten that seven or eight years ago and it still sits on the windowsill in my office uh where i see it every day or i guess they could be you know much less uh meaningful and spiritual and you know maybe my red Sox hat is also a totem because i wear it every day even though i still live outside of philadelphia because it reminds me of home and all the memories and stories of being in boston for all those years one of the things i really like about this show is it allows us to have deeper conversations than we get to have in our typical day-to-day where i i do think that a lot of objects are actually imbued with incredible meaning. 
Um, you know, everything from the phones we carry 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that we just conceive of this as some sort of technological device, but it, it actually encodes like our communication, our emotions, it's our connection to other people. My wife and I had this experience of uh, visiting the Natural History Museum here in New York, and we went and we saw all the different cultures and literal totems that ancient cultures and uh, what they call primitive cultures had. And we we swear that we actually had a spiritual encounter with this. We, we don't talk about it a lot because, again, it seems so strange in a modern world to talk about something resonating. But we saw a shrunken head, and later that evening – we had like these really strange dreams and she had the same dream that I did. Oh, right. Wow. I mean, it, it, there's, there's just no logical explanation for this. Huh. And we were kind of trying to trace back, say, you know, what was the origin of this? You know, did we have bad food? <laughs> did we, you know, <laughs> did we watch the same movie? And the best we could come up with is that just because an object is in a museum doesn't mean that it's, significance from its first culture has worn off and i you know extending to the show is just because you know something has happened doesn't mean that you know it's now less important um so the way in which you know steve has now become a surrogate brother for the bba right her brother is dead and she now purchases literally with fifty thousand dollar cashier check the life of another man who is wearing, like, he looks identical to her brother in that picture a couple episodes back with the ski outfit. Yeah, the of, of all the five, I mean, they're all interesting in their own way, the five misfits, but the BBA is the most unlikely of all of them, it would seem. They're all, the rest of them are all teenage boys, and she's like this middle-aged uh, woman teacher. Steve is the kid that she wanted to kick out, remember, early on? She wanted to kick him out of school because, and then, like, the OA pretended to be, like, his stepmom, and and kind of then had this calming effect on the BBA. But they start the series where the BBA wants to kick him out of school entirely. And now she's ransoming his life with $50,000. I mean, that's a really interesting arc for these two characters. Keith, we haven't talked a lot about the titles of the episodes, but I, I wonder if there were any connections you made with this one where Empire of Light, if you locked on to the idea of Empire or Light or, you know, if you think that that's significant to understanding this episode. Yeah, that has actually been a real mystery to me. Whereas the last episode, Forking Paths, was very clear. They talked all about it. Uh, literally, use those those words, the Empire of Light. We don't have a lot of insight into that. Uh, at the very end of the episode, you know, she was wearing this silver hoodie that she was wearing at the restaurant. And then, you know, she comes and when she starts telling the story, she pulls the hoodie up and in the darkness of the room, like she begins to shine as she's telling, you know, the story and kind of leads us into what the finale is going to be. So that's the, the light that stood out to me here, silver hoodie. Uh, but uh, otherwise uh, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what it means yet. Uh, and maybe it's, it's also leaning into whatever is to come 
in the next episode. What about you? Circles I run in have done a lot of work around talking about empire right now, right? <laughs> and so that that extends to our modern political understanding, but also our ancient understanding of you know what constituted you know the Roman Empire, what constitutes uh, the you know the Constantinian Empire, the Ottoman Empire. If we're looking at empire not as a ruling government, but as a way which rules our lives. And if the OA is tapping into this spiritual reality, you've had some pretty interesting insights about talking about, you know, exchanges in which, you know, creator as emperor or as king or as lord. And what our denominational namesake Martin Luther calls the great exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, and a ransoming, you know, did, were you making any of those connections? Yeah, certainly. When the BBA ransom Steve uh, thought about what Martin Luther describes as this great exchange where, you know, Christ takes on all of our sin and gives us all of his righteousness. Yeah, Luther called it like the great exchange or he likened it to uh, a marriage when we um, take on one another's or we exchange one another's identity, relationship, you know, all the things that I have that I have to share with you and all the things that you have that you would share with me, that there is this exchange taking place. And your answer about the Empire Light is way better than mine. Um, but, you know, there there is this way of uh, thinking about empire subversive. I mean, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And he talked about mm-hmm. the kingdom of God as this place, as this movement, as this reality that was invisible to many, but stood in direct contrast to the empire at that time, the Roman Empire and all the empires of the world, right? So right. maybe this empire of light is in contrast to the empire of, of darkness um, that we see in the world or we see in Hap and Leon. Um, and so maybe there, I mean, there is this sense that this is a alternate reality in itself as they gather in this abandoned house and engage in this very simple but powerful just mode of storytelling as they gather around to hear the OA story and to figure out how their stories fit and, you know, what they together can and will do. I think that maybe goes back to one of your first observations about almost the incredible uh, way in which the reveal of the the original angel is so anticlimactic. Right? It's, <laughs> right. You know, we've been wondering for this whole series what the OA is, and we find out in, you know, it was Applebee's or, you know, <laughs> right. whatever restaurant that it's the original angel, and it's not met with, you know, light and <laughs> a choir of angels, but it's met with a slap in the face. <laughs> right. Like, how dare you? The story you tell about Moses and the burning bush, one of my favorite theologians, Rob Bell, has this take where he says that, you know, in part, the reason the burning bush was so important is because this was probably a place that Moses had walked past hundreds or thousands of times. And there was nothing significant about it until one day a voice reveals to him, Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. You know, maybe that's maybe that's what you know. The empire, the kingdom of God, is revealing is things we pass so many times, imbued with no meaning or just ordinariness. And this is where the totems come in. That suddenly they've got all this light. That they do have choirs of angels. But they've got things that we can't see resonating all around them. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, I think that's so much of what. Jesus did or what we see in the scriptures, you know, that um, 
Jacob says, uh, God was here and I didn't know it. You know, or people built altars uh, all around the Holy Land when they had these encounters with God, like these places that were not, had not been considered sacred places. And they had a vision or a dream or an encounter and put an altar in that place, you know, signifying that this is holy ground. And I think about all the mundane, everyday places in our lives, which are many, and we don't expect to find God there. I mean, maybe it's just that we expect to see God at church, but then there are other times, I think, when we have a greater sense of anticipation. If there are places we've gone before, like for a lot of people, that's nature. Uh, when they're they're going to a certain place, then they expect or anticipate, you know, I'm going to have an encounter and experience. But often people don't have that experience when they're washing the dishes or they're changing diapers or they're cleaning the house hmm. or they're mowing the hmm. lawn. But um, actually, there's lots of literature about finding God in the everyday, in these places. Yeah, and I guess that takes us right back to the episode, you know, how did you survive so long down there? Mm-hmm. I survived because I wasn't alone. And, you know, we survived because we're not alone. Like, you know, maybe we have friends, maybe we have family, maybe we have a faith community. Maybe we've got a Boston Red Sox cap and a, a, a stone from a stream that is a heart, but we're not alone. Yeah, we live in this time where there's this paradox where we're so connected and we're more connected than ever before, and yet there is this profound sense of loneliness that we experience at the same time. Um, and there was just a, a recent article in the Boston Globe that talked about one of the great challenges for middle-aged men is loneliness. It's a huge problem. And so we're connected, but we're lonely and we're separated from one another. You know, as somebody that spends a lot of time in digital spaces, I feel more connected by the technology, but, and maybe it's not the technology itself. Maybe it's just how we live our lives where, you know, we're working so hard and we're working so long and we don't have some of that free time and free space to for these kind of random connections, the serendipity to happen. You know, our kids' lives are more programmed with their playdates, <laughs> and our our lives are more programmed with our adult playdates uh, when we <laughs> manage to get out if we can. It's a real paradox for us. Yeah, and, you know, it's, this continues to connect with uh, our episode where we have that exchange. The, the future is dark, not bad dark but you can't see it and maybe living is just bringing to light what you need in a day seeing the day dot 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 or at least that's what i'm learning in therapy (laughs) (laughs) so what we all learn in therapy (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i think that's right like when we can shed a little light on our day and you know for some people that's a little mindfulness at the beginning of the day or it's a little prayer in the car or a little devotional or it's holding a totem you know or putting that hat on for me or whatever it is just you know looking at the day with hope openness expectation and anticipation something as simple as that can really reveal to us the the beauty the sacredness not denying the hard things of life at all, but even as we look at the harder things in our lives, perhaps we can see, you know, resurrection coming out of that death, hope coming out of suffering. If we just kind of gauge our eyes uh, in our bodies to to see and feel and, and hear that. 
Yeah, I'm right. I'm right there with you, and uh, I'm uh, I'm also right there with you and wondering how this is going to be resolved. Now we've gotten to <laughs> yes. the next to last episode, you know, uh, and we're wondering, you know, what is what is next for our bodies, but what's next for the body of the OA? What's next for the misfits? What's next for these poor folks trapped down here at the bottom of a mine? Yeah. Uh, and we did have at the beginning of this episode another premonition, right? She has this dream and she has the bloody nose, but it's not resolved in this episode. So we'll see if that premonition, like the premonitions about the bus going off, right, and uh, and her drowning, or the premonition about the Statue of Liberty and theoretically finding her father there. We'll see what becomes of this premonition in the next episode. Well, thanks for joining us, folks. We uh, continue to really enjoy the feedback that we're getting. And you can check us out on our Facebook page, on uh, our uh, website, theoaforlent.com, as well as our SpeakPipe uh, episode in which you can try to call in. And uh, we'll see if we can uh, do some more uh, conversations as well as some listening. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.